Welcome back. Welcome in to Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com. Happy Friday morning to you. And that even extends to you, Chris Anderson. How are things? <laughs> things are going all right over here. Uh, weather's holding up. Little League is not so hot anymore. Uh, got kind of worn out by the first day of 95-degree weather and coaching and that. But been a lot better lately, even if uh, there's been a little bit of rain involved, too. How about yourself? Same here. Trying to get outside and do some stuff with the house because um, I have more time. I think we talked about trying to steal Fridays and Saturdays off and get ahead the last time we spoke and did it again this week. That'll be good, but it looks like it's going to rain all weekend, so maybe more inside than outside. But um, cooped up for a long time and just decided I wasn't going to do like domestic stuff and chores because I didn't want to. Um, I'm well past over that bridge and trying to make the most of my time here because does feel like we'll be back to more of a regular schedule sooner than later. So um, maybe I'm not supposed to do this, though, because the weather is not cooperating. And we kind of get that June swoon where the weather is just kind of eh in the middle. And it gets really hot out of nowhere here, too. Pretty common for, um, for Morgantown. Uh, a number of things to talk about. Uh, it would not be a podcast if we didn't talk about pandemics and returns. Just very briefly here. The latest update from West Virginia Thursday afternoon. Um, still just the one case. And that is a lot better news than you're seeing from a lot of programs around the country. And it would appear that all the safeguards and preventative measures that they have in place so far are working since they've been back. Um, if that number hasn't grown in the first four or five days back, that's not a bad thing at all. And we even learned little details about how the staffing and the coaching is going. Um, the coaches are allowed back, but in really small windows, a lot of them are doing the majority of their work at home. There's truly no purpose for them to be around right now because they can't interact with the players. So, um, if you think about, hey, coaches are welcome back on June 8th. They are, but really regulated, and um, that seemed like the smart thing to do. Not that because it was any type of danger, but there's no reason to invite any type of risk there. And smaller population is generally better, so um, hey, so far so good on this, huh? Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that it's, it's a lot better news than we're hearing from other places. I believe it was Texas that had the first handful of uh, cases when they first got there, then a few days later announced a few more cases, and they kind of went through, and I asked you about this last time we were on. Do you think they would start doing antibody testing? Apparently, Texas did. And along with their handful of positive cases, a few more positive cases, a few more guys that are, I believe, I can't remember how they phrased it, but maybe not a test positive, but assumed suspected. positive. Yeah, suspected right, yeah. positive. Uh, they were also being quarantined. And a handful of others that had tested positive for antibodies, which means at some point in the past, they had uh, COVID-19, but had apparently tested, I assume, tested negative for it currently. So it was sometime in the past. So uh, I'm curious where, if other schools will follow suit with the antibody testing. I'm curious if West Virginia can keep up this, kind of, you know, uh, like you said, good news. of a hand, It's only been a handful of days, but a handful of days of no more additions, which is better than most other schools can say right now. You're kind of at that point in the week now where if you were exposed to it and you caught it, be showing symptoms and if they're doing all that testing and screening they probably would have caught something if it had happened so that's good um if that's all right you, that's about all i want to talk about that yeah that is fine with me have some other ideas uh, i want to hit you with an idea i have about recruiting what i think is going on some uh, creative ways to find an edge and neil brown talks about future of our defensive line prospects here crystal ball predictions are in a changing mm-hmm. basketball series good news of pit and then uh, if we have time, we have a gate on campus here. Okay. Let's do it. 
Copyright gate. <laughs> we can close with that. All right. It's a very hot topic. Uh, here's my theory, Chris. And I've, I've tiptoed around this before, and I've asked Neil Brown about it before, and I don't know if it was a terrible question or if he was evasive with his answer. But we're sort of seeing this now. Um, there are ways to find and to attract and land transfers. And sometimes it's a really cool thing if you can get the guy who had a scholarship to walk on. And I think postgraduate players are more prone to do that because the financial burden is just one year. There's also ways that you can get guys to transfer who have hidden years of eligibility. What I mean by that is they may be able to recoup a year that they lost one way or the other. So their actual expiration clock doesn't go blank after five years. That might be a six year. We saw this at George Campbell. I'm not sure that was the intent. But they, they found a way to get a guy who was a fifth-year senior to transfer in, and they ultimately got him a six-year. It would appear that Keon Wakefield is kind of a, a double dip here. He's a guy who was on scholarship, walked on as a transfer at West Virginia, and he could, in theory, be eligible for a sixth season after 2020. Um, and then just some recent developments here, too, getting walk-ons. Uh, Tyler Sumter was a very good punter and kicker at Troy on scholarship, he was in a very crowded portal. He happens to be a specialist. Those aren't the most popular um, people in the portal. He ends up walking on here and it seems Bryce brand who, if I'm wrong, correct me here was a scholarship player at Maryland is going to come as a walk on. There are certain ways to juke the numbers here. Um, Get a guy for one year, but tell him, Hey, we might be able to get you for two get a guy who was on scholarship and said, listen, there's just not a lot of competition for your services. If you want to be happy and get a chance to play, walk on here. And then we have the curious case of the transfer from NC state who by no clear indication is somehow eligible. They think for the 2020 season. And that's a tremendous thing because they want to get depth and they want to get, you know, numbers, nine, 10 people on their defensive line. Here's a guy who's been in a college program for two years. You would think presumably he's going to be a three for two player. But and he had to sit out one year in accordance with the traditional transfer rules. But word is that there is a waiver appeal on the way, not yet definitive, but certainly there's a confidence level that exists where he pulled the trigger and transferred to West Virginia and he'd be eligible in 2020. Um, Brown talks about this a bunch. You're going to have to be creative with ways to get people in on your roster. We're seeing more patterns here. It's not just one case. It's multiple cases of guys who have the hidden year of eligibility people who come as walk-ons because they have an opportunity and ways you can say, Hey, we can get you a waiver. Just trust us on this one too. These seem to check boxes for creativity. And yeah. And pattern, you you mentioned it, a pattern, a pattern, not just, not just this year, not just this class, but uh, first off, he's, I I believe he said, we're going to get creative. That very first signing day, he had it February of, of 2019. Then he said it again, in December for the early signing period of this last class, and then said it again this February um, or, or somewhere around there in January when he, when he had the meeting, I think, I don't think he talked on signing day that time, but he's mentioned it getting quote creative every single time. And last year we went through this, this similar thing, like you said, with George Campbell, Jared Dagey, Ruben Jones, adding all these guys late spring, early summer, Noah Guzman. Um, and, and every single time that's, where are these numbers fitting in? How is this working? How is this guy going to walk on? Is this a blue shirt? Is it uh, a scholarship? Big counting now, next year, whatever. Um, they're going to continue that. They're doing it again now, and, and they're not done uh, from my understanding. Right. They may they may still keep going. And 
I think that's just kind of the the, the world we got to live in right now because you got it, it, I, it's always going to evolve. I think you know, a few years ago when the transfer, I don't even think there was a true transfer portal at the time, but transfers started becoming more and more of a thing. There was a discussion around how can you truly rank a recruiting class because transfers are so important. And we noted how Daniel Holgerson was kind of ahead of the curve on that front with, hey, we're always going to pocket a couple scholarships just to be ready for transfers because there are going to be some really good players that are going to hit the market. I mean, mm-hmm. was that 2011-12 when Charles Sims, you know, one of the best running backs in the country, all of a sudden became available in like April. And West Virginia had a scholarship for him because they held on to it and, and did it every year after that. And it's just kind of evolved from that point where it's not just hanging out, waiting with a couple extra scholarships for true transfers. But, hey, like you said, we'll find weird and wonderful ways to get you eligible and here and contributing. Just trust us and come here. And it's a necessity, too. Yeah. And, and it's corners, find shortcuts. And it's a good time to be in a, it's a buyer's market. Let's be blunt about that. I think you, you said it just a second ago that it, there's not a whole lot of it, it. There aren't more players than there are spots available. So the schools have the leverage here to kind of be like, hey, we may not be able to offer you a scholarship, but I don't think there's anybody else that can either, at least not at this level. So we need to think outside of the box or you need to think outside of the box if you want to play at the highest level. So it's a good time to be the school searching for a player rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. And it's surprising to see players who are on scholarship for a couple of years walk on. There are ways that you can be a grad student and get some financial assistance. You have to qualify for certain things and again, check some boxes there. I have not talked to these players. I don't know, but I'm assuming that's a way that they can kind of dangle some bait in addition to just like the, you know, the allure of playing time, you know, finishing your career the right way if that helps i'm sure they have that too but it strikes me that this unusual offseason is a really good litmus test and perhaps it turns out to be an advantage for brown and his staff because for example they've been really ambitious with blue shirts blue shirts are players who never take an official visit they enroll basically on day two of practice they can play that season for you they count toward the following year's recruiting class that's the gist of that for correct yes Okay, and then also um, walk-ons. They've gotten at least two walk-ons so far. They may not be done. Who knows? They have some room for it. But if you can't take official visits right now, one, that increases the number of blue shirts for you. If West Virginia wants to be creative with the math and really make a jump this year on some players to make a jump in the standings, hey, that's a pretty good way to do it because you get some people in, you can figure it out. Near as you and I can tell in our conversations with people, the status for some of these players is, We'll figure it out. That's the answer you get when you ask that question. So that's curious to me, but again, it could be a good test. And again, walk-ons. There's a ton of them in there, and if guys want to play, they're going to have to pull the trigger on an offer. And a lot of schools may not be willing to let somebody commit until they visit. That hasn't happened with Tyler Sumter. That hasn't happened with Bryce Brand, for example. But they're willing to walk on because they want to play and they have a chance and they didn't want to wait around anymore because there's just not that many spots and the longer you wait, there's fewer and fewer too. Um, this will be the same for other schools, but for Brown, his staff and their approach, the fact that you can't have official visits is good for blue shirts. The fact that it's so crowded in the transfer portal and that teams are in just kind of a stuck in place position, it kind of encourages people to, to act now rather than wait and have even fewer options. So who says if you're Bryce Brand, no thank you, West Virginia, on the walk-on offer. I'm going to wait until July or August. Well, heck, there may not be 
a scholarship spot for you, but there might not even be a walk-on opportunity for you later. So you kind of have to act quickly too. Um, this could be ultimately validation for what they're doing, even if it does seem obscure. Yeah. And, and they can afford to do this and some others, and this is the other good spot for West Virginia, kind of the, I guess, silver lining of the issue that they've had in the past where they, they were short on scholarship players as far as, because there's a bunch of different limits we're talking about here for, for those, Mm -hmm. A quick sidestep here for those that aren't ultimately familiar with, um, you know, recruiting. There's the 25-man limit, which is how many people you can bring in in each class. 25 initial counter limit, which is how many people can sign for a certain class and then either, you know, enroll later or earlier, but as far as signing. And then 25 or or 85 for the team, for the full team uh, at at one time. So West Virginia is hitting these 25 man limits both of them in almost every year lately but their team scholarship limit was i got i i can't remember it off the top of my head but i remember we ran it last year it was upper 60s low 70s maybe mid 70s with a few walk-ons getting scholarships so they can afford to get tricky with those 25 man numbers because they have the leeway with the 85 man limit while there's other schools for instance like alabama uh, I believe Tennessee, South Carolina, those programs are already over the 85 man limit and uh, finding, uh, how do I put this politely, um, finding persuasive ways to push guys off the team and and just to get down to 85. So that's another area where West Virginia, kind of they're not getting as much competition because those other schools can't get creative like West Virginia can. Let's move on to, since we last spoke, I mean, pretty much after we finished, there was a commitment from the North Carolina State transfer defensive end, Joseph Bolotapelli. Do I have that right? Nice. Good job. Okay. Um, Who you spoke with very briefly one day. (laughs) And there's some mystery about him because, again, um, played but also redshirted his first year. Was under the four-game limit in 2018. Played seven games last year, 2019, and then was gone. So you think, all right, do the math in my head. Uh, He's got... A couple of seasons left, but he's also uses redshirt, a three for three guy. I believe I misspoke and said he was a three for two guy. So he's a three for three, correct? Right, three for three. Assuming that he, yeah, three for three. Because I guess we were just we were considering him possibly sitting out and redshirting this year uh, because of transfers. So. To which we are told not so fast. Right. Um, there's been some reporting that it's a done deal. We don't believe that's entirely accurate, but we may just have more cautious information, but people saying, sure. I've also understand that West Virginia is going to look into a waiver for anybody who transfers um, and they'll go forward with it. If they have the grounds, I've covered this before. There's a couple surefire areas to do it to which they apply for Bolo Tapelli. I don't really know, but I also can't speak to the conditions about why he left the program. If he was, for example, run off, if they said, listen, you're not where we want you to be and you're not going to be a, a, in line for playing time next year. You know, the NCAA is probably going to say, listen, immediate waiver, it's not his choice to leave, but he wants to move on and play, let him play. There are conditions that exist. That might be one there, too. But it's also possibly graduated in two years. I know that sounds weird, but, like, Trey Lowe is an immediately eligible player wherever he lands because he graduated. So that's another thing we could be thinking about. He might be an extremely rare case of a three-year graduate transfer. So there's different things here. But more to our point, if there's a push to get him eligible right away, um, you're looking at a pretty ferocious defensive line. You have been so bold. I believe this was the uh, the onus for my hot take that I was going to put in my sweet tea, right? Mm-hmm. That this would be a really good defensive line this year. 
that was before Brand, who we believe is going to be a, maybe like a Bandit, not really a defensive lineman, but in the tradition of a, a defensive line, he's he's that outside edge guy, perhaps. Um, Bola Tapelli is definitely a defensive lineman. This is growing and growing here, and it looks like it's going to be a good group. But when you look at the way they've recruited, it's quantity of players is alarming here, and this is something that you kind of can't help but notice that a four-two-five is technically an odd front. There is surely a way to look at this as a four-two-five being an even front, where instead of having tackle, nose, and an abanda who's kind of a hangover player, you're going to have end, tackle, tackle, and. Am I crazy here, or are they maybe rearranging the deck chairs? I don't think you're crazy, and for a couple reasons. One being that, you know, the in the Big 12 with these offenses, pass rushes, the pass rush is the way you win on defense. You're not winning. I mean, of course, you want to stop the run. You want to defend the pass in the secondary. But the way to truly kind of change the game is to have an elite pass rush in this Big 12. And it's it's hard to do that with a three-man front. Uh, obviously, West Virginia has a couple players that that succeeded somewhat with that, with the Stills brothers coming back. But the idea of having them, say, in more of a traditional four-man front, or at least with four guys kind of coming after the quarterback and, and taking up blockers, it gives them even more space, even more chance for a one-on-one, more chance to get in the backfield. I think I think they're playing to their strengths, too. This was the, the second part. One is pass rushes win in the Big 12. Second part is West Virginia's playing to their strengths and kind of hiding or masking their weaknesses because my super-duper hot take from last month was – this is the best defensive line for West Virginia since 2010. And maybe they'll prove to be even better than that because that 2010 line was was loaded. But then they've added some more. And what's been our biggest concern, my biggest concern, I, I don't want to speak for you, maybe you too, but my biggest concern for this team has been who's going to step up in linebacker? Where do these guys fit? I mean, I know they've got a couple of good players. Josh Chandler has made a difference last year. Uh, Vandarius Cowan has kind of shown that in his limited time that he can probably has the potential to be a difference maker, uh, although at that bandit spot, but I, the linebacking court is it's the, the depth is not there and there isn't quite it, I'm trying to find the best way to phrase this. There is no Darius or Dante stills on the, on the linebacking court. There is no guy that that's that big of a difference maker. And so I think you need to kind of just roll with your strengths and switching from a 3-4 to a 4-2-5 is probably the way to go with that because I think you have extra safeties, so that helps with the five part, the secondary part, and you have a great defensive line. So you go with the four, and then you find your best two linebackers and make it work. I like it. I think it's a really good way of putting it, too, that there isn't a Dante and Darius still as a linebacker where it's an obvious got to build around this guy situation. Don't have that. You do have that in line. And you can really see a situation now where, hypothetically, Pooler and Alston start outside and then Stills and Stills start inside. And then the backups are, take your pick here, uh, let's say maybe Martin and Bola Patelli. At ends, gonna have an issue with the inside people, but perhaps Jalen Thornton, Quay Mays, Jordan Jefferson. Like you're starting to see a situation here where you're like that's that's not that bad. Now you say ah, depth numbers, you know, you're not gonna have a third team. Well, ideally, you might not play it every down too. So 
it, it could be a fixture. It could be their base, but by no means do you have to play your base every situation. I think the question mark is going to be what do they do with the two? Is it Band and Mike? Because they're kind of interchangeable, and it kind of gives you a pass rush and that fifth helmet to come to the line of scrimmage. That might be interesting. Is it Bandit Will? Is it Mike Will? Like, how are they going to make that work? Who knows? That'll be largely dependent on on personnel, but it's probably going to be, in essence, two middle linebackers just because of the way that looks. Um, I just have a feeling that this is going to be mad scientist stuff because we're talking about just the defensive line and linebackers. The most complicated and fascinating part of the defense right now is that back end and what they're going to do with kind of hybrid corner safeties and who's going to play safety and what type of pass protection they can put in there when uh, against opponents. But you put these two together, they might have a bunch of different ways to match up with a variety of offenses with different personnel and different formations, but still keeping, you know, somewhat close to their core and their principles too. So um, we might've actually seen this start a little bit early last year. If Austin didn't get hurt at Missouri, they did play some even front before and even briefly after, kind of ran out of gas doing that. So I think it's been on their mind for a while, but now you're just starting, trying to say, I think to your point, where can we find a strength fastest linebacker defensive line? Well, right now it looks like defensive line, which is an amazing thing to say for West Virginia. They're recruiting and landing significant players who are going to matter sooner than later. Like sooner than later is the important part too. You're getting guys who can play right away. Now it's, it's kind of a, a real flip of the coin around here. Yeah, what, what what was that front that they lined up uh, when Guzman got his start last year? Was that like a four? Wasn't that a four one six or something, or was that a or a three two six or something like that? I mean, they. It, my point is, Vic Coning has shown that he's not exactly all the years of 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 Dana's favorite term, multiple. Um, you know who's truly multiple is Vic Coning. He is not afraid to switch it up, and and I'm with you. I think it's going to be let's say screw it and go four man front because that's where our strength is and the other part too is that when they started this big 12 initiation several years ago west virginia they were kind of an outlier as an odd front especially as an every down odd front almost everybody plays a substantial part of their defense in an odd front many of them have them in a base so the the wow factor having to get ready for an odd front isn't there so now you just wonder, have they evolved to a point where, you know what, our thing is going to be we're an even front, and there's not many of them in the Big 12, and that's going to give us an advantage. It certainly could be true. Um, future considerations here, including on defense, um, because this is the time of year where we see a lot of let's-go tweets and players transferring in or committing to the 2020 class. It's happening almost regularly, it seems like. But we have some traction on one out, one in, one maybe that you've mm-hmm. talked about here. Um, it involves the defensive line. It involves linebackers, situations we're talking about here. But it also is indicative, perhaps, of what we're talking about with defense, where the defensive line is, they can be picky and choosing and get the people they want. And they can also kind of like hope that, listen, we found a guy who's going to play linebacker for us. Let's get him in here. We think he fits. Yeah, I think starting with, the linebacker, I that was the pro WVU pick, and it's it's funny because I said in the story, and the pick is uh, Issy Atute, I believe is how you pronounce it, from Virginia Beach, Virginia, and he is, you know, we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. He is as of this moment, as we're talking, on a virtual official visit with the coaching staff, bringing both of his parents along with him, I guess, sitting next to him in front of the computer um, to talk with the coaches and learn more about the program as well. And he's pretty high on WVU. And my sources in Morgantown tell me that 
WVU is pretty high on him. So there's definitely mutual interest. Uh, he's checking things out. He's got WVU in his final group. And in his final group that he released the other day, it was a top seven. He admitted to our own Brian Doan, uh, 24-7 sports national analyst, that West Virginia was really out of those seven schools the one that is the most consistent with their contact with him. And I think that means a lot to these kids, especially in this day and age when you can't visit schools. So the constant contact is is vital. And that tells me something. And But the part that was funny to me, as I said in the thing, he's a fast riser. We just uh, raised his rating a couple points recently, and other schools are coming with new offers. And I said, the reason I put my confidence level at level four instead of something like seven or eight out of ten was because – who knew when he was going to be able to visit, actually physically visit West Virginia, much less, you know, sign in December. And by the time he actually was able to get to campus, even if he did commit or was thinking about committing, he might have six or seven more offers before then. And each one before that, or each one of those would be a new hurdle for WVU to overcome. And within an hour of me posting that story and saying that exact thing, home state Virginia tech comes in with an offer. Oh, everybody, really? Everybody just happened not minutes ago as we're talking here. Uh, the hook he's just offered him. So I, it's not changing my opinion yet, but that's why I said confidence level of four instead of 10. And I think a lot of schools are going to take a second look at this kid because West Virginia really likes him. And I think other schools are going to kind of jump onto the, that as well. Good news otherwise in recruiting, too, some some changes to the 2020 class that you had hinted at, too, that we we're going to get some good news on a couple of players. Um, as promised, uh, Tomas Remock, mm-hmm. Andrew Lamp-Wilson or Wilson-Lamp? I don't have Wilson, him Wilson-Lamp. Andrew Wilson-Lamp. Uh, actually, Wilson-Lamp jumps to a four-star because he's now being categorized as a cornerback, which you mentioned. Uh, Remock, I think we all thought that he was going to go up. Um, he's darn near a four-star, probably as close as you can get, I believe, an 89 and uh, Dudley finally got a grade. He was ungraded before, too, and he gets an 85, which is a pretty solid three-star here, too, but um, it was a good class, and just by the calendar turning, it becomes a better class, too. Any more possibilities for upward movement here? It would, it would seem like, perhaps, that Millam has a chance outside at five stars. That's awful um, rarefied air here, but he would be close to that. The four stars, none of the other ones could probably go to four. Any threes that can go to four? Uh, three school, I think Remox, they're still going to look at him as somebody that could move up later. I think they want to see his senior film because he is just so raw, you know, only really been at offensive line for a year and a half or so, maybe two. And as far as any other moves up, uh, Jalen Anderson, keep an eye on him, running back. I know for the 24 seven sports composite, he's already a four star 24 seven sports has had him as an 89, which is right on the brink of a four-star. It's a three-star, just barely below four-star. But he is somebody that our uh, director of scouting, Barton Simmons, has talked to me about uh, that they are considering heavily moving up because I think a lot of people were surprised because he's a bigger guy. He's a bigger back. And when you see him and when we saw him at camp, I remember I thought, hey, that's a guy that, you know, between the tackles runner, big guy, break tackles, blah, 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 all that kind of standard stuff. But he surprised a lot of people with his versatility because he's a lot more – he's a true uh, – we have him ranked as an all-purpose back, which is unheard of for a 220-pound back. That's typically reserved for the 5'7", 170-pound mm-hmm. you know, scat back types, not these big dudes. And he really wowed because he's 
he moves so well for such a big guy. And he's somebody that they told me, you know, we're going to watch that because he's somebody that could move up in the next rankings and, and, or as once we get some, to see some more senior film and see him uh, showcase those other abilities. Let's also look ahead to basketball for a second here. The backyard brawl is not going away. It's renewed for two more, actually, yeah, two more seasons. No, four. Hold on. One, two. How many more seasons did this get? Two more, right? Two more? Yeah, my bad. Because there's already two existing. So they added yeah. two more to it. Anyways, it's unusual to me because I think, especially in football, but to some extent basketball too now because there's just not as many non-conference opponents available because teams are increasing their involvement in invitationals and in challenges. The 20-game conference schedule in a couple of these leagues is really complicated non-conference play. There's fewer opportunities for teams that do not play 20 games. So for West Virginia, they're in an 18-game conference schedule. They have two more non-conference games they have to get into. That's why you see challenges with um, the SEC and the Big East because they're just trying to find ways to fill it. But they signed up for a couple more years of Pitt, which means it's Pitt. It's cool. There's no variation in there. Um, more of a concern in football than basketball because there's just so few opportunities in football for non-conference games and games in general. But are you surprised at all that they brought Pitt back quickly and just not even like any question about it? They said they wanted to do this and they were going to do it, and they did. But, I mean, also no wait. They tacked it on to the end of the existing series. So um, it's in Morgantown back-to-back years it's in pit back-to-back years that's kind of strange but um, it's surprising that it happened so quickly and then again in the chain there's no gap in the series anymore i think the only part that's surprising for me is the no gap um i think obviously there's a ton of interest in this matchup not only between the two fan bases but i think uh outside of it some as well as much as there can be when it comes to two teams playing in college basketball but and then once you got it with everything coming down with the pandemic, there's been a lot of discussion about, hey, maybe we really do need to get back to more regional games to avoid some of this travel, make things easier, uh, come down on costs. But the gap, I, I was thinking they might take a year off or maybe two at most and then come back with another two game series or, you know, two on one off, two on one off, that kind of thing. Not that. I don't think the game would get stale, um, but uh, at what is that? For absence makes the heart grow fonder, or the hate grow the the hate grow stronger. I, I don't know. I think a year between would be good. Two on, one off. It, it would be my ideal scenario, but I understand why it's not. I like the idea of going back-to-back home games here, too, and, and it gives you some flexibility. It's it's kind of complicated, but I talk to people who do scheduling, again, more so for football than basketball. But when you have a series that the same opponent or whatever, but it gives you back-to-back non-conference home games in, like, a, a major opponent, so a Power 5 or in basketball, a little bit different. You can get some uh, group of five schools who kind of qualifies Power 5, but it kind of opens you up to some teams who need that one-off game to fill their non-conference schedule, too. It opens you up a little bit, too. So if we're talking about these teams that have 20 game schedules and they don't have quite as many opportunities to fill, they still have a need to fill. And if you're a team that says, Oh, I got back to back big 12 or I have back to back non-conference road games against Pitt or home games with Pitt, you kind of have some opportunities to travel somewhere to help your RPI or to have someone come to your home court and help your RPI. Uh, West Virginia hasn't had the greatest organic home non-conference opponents the past couple of years. They haven't had to because some of these classics and challenges and invitationals have given them somebody from the big Somebody from the um, SEC, 
soon somebody from the Big East. So it's been okay. But if you can get a team like that that needs one, someone from the SEC, someone from the ACC, that's pretty cool. Um, and this kind of accomplishes that too. But yeah, surprising it's back-to-back. And again, it's a bus ride. It's not a plane trip. You're not going to have to do hotel stays. I mean, they'll probably stay overnight the night before, which I never got. And I, I frankly will be curious to see if they continue to do that. Why do you have to have an overnight stay in pit the night before a game? We'll see. If it's a noon game, I get it. Probably going to be a televised night game for some of these. So um, we'll see there. And also, I haven't seen the contract yet, but a lot of these games, they just trade like $100,000 or $150,000 payout. So Pitt will pay $100,000 one year and West Virginia will pay $100,000 the next. I never understood that either. And that's some of the contract financial logic, common sense stuff I'm going to keep an eye on in the future. Because like you said, you might see more of these bus drive games, more of these uh, regional things. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if other schools and other conferences did home and homes, maybe like even in the same year too, where it just makes sense. Like what's wrong conceivably, what would be wrong with playing Pitt two times in non-conference play? Nothing. Or what would be wrong with playing, playing another power five team that's close twice in non-conference play? Nothing. You're seeing conference teams allow their teams to play a second non-conference game against a conference team, be it football or basketball, just because the way it works out. Uh, I would not be surprised that's part of our future either. Whew. All right, playing playing pit twice. Just like the old days, Mike. Just like think, the old days. I think if you got issues with finances and travel and stuff like that, I might be appealing. It may not be a, a big thing for some of these Power 5 schools who have deep pockets and can cover things up, but there are also some Power 5 schools are, who are going to be struggling. Maybe, you know, if this, if this thing comes back again and we have, you know, a financial problem across college sports, there might be something to look at there too. Um, last one, speaking about past, present, and future – Let's not spend too much more time on this because we already have devoted a little bit to it. Surprise to the surprise of many, but how small controversy with Doug Cross and highlight videos and West Virginia um, hitting him with a takedown notice. So he would take down a video he produced of Sam James. This is all kind of unfortunate because Doug was and is a fan favorite. He was a university employee for a while and then wasn't. And I think a lot of people noticed a gap in some of the features that they used to anticipate and enjoy so they no longer do the pregame highlight videos the pregame hype videos i guess would be a better way to put it they have just a different direction and a different philosophy when it comes to how they're going to use video multimedia but you saw this unusual action um, where he put up a sam james highlight and west virginia made sure that he took it down because he used copyrighted footage of the university it's 2020 chris this stuff is going to happen it's a bummer but kind of hard to blame either party for being upset here, but I also don't see Doug really getting any leverage yet back in the game here the way he wants to. Yeah, it's a tough one. It is a very tough one because you mentioned the long relationships that, the, that, that Doug has had with West Virginia and the fans, and he is a fan favorite. Um, but again, from the other side, and this is maybe if I weren't in the profession that we're in, I might not feel this way, but you and I have both put in a lot of hard work to put up stories, to get information, to get content, and then to see other people just take it and use it as their own or to utilize it in a different way for their own gain. Um, and I'm not even saying that Doug, I don't know if Doug gains, you know, I don't think, I don't know if he profits from that in any way. I'm just, just saying for our perspective and, and then taking our, our content and using it for themselves. So I understand where West Virginia is coming from and saying, hey, we paid these people to get this video. They worked hard to get this video. It is our video. 
Um, so I understand that part as well. And it's unfortunate it went the way it did, that it had to be aired publicly. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's, it's, I guess, resolved isn't the right word because I believe Doug went on Twitter and said, you know, hey, I had that call with Matt Wills and other people in West Virginia, and I can't remember how he phrased it, but basically it was like it was a civil call, but nothing was resolved. And so I, I you know, I don't know if it's going to be one of those agree to disagree things and just try to hope that both parties move on um, because I think West Virginia fans enjoy both. And they enjoy what the, the the product that the current employees of WVU are providing, and they do an amazing job. And they enjoy all the stuff that Doug does as well. Yeah, let me um, let me delineate a little bit here, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, that that one idiot who steals our content and posts it as his own, like just borrows full sections word for words of my story and thinks that no one notices. That's terrible. It's embarrassing, and that's why people don't like that guy and his his brand. It's very different than what Doug did. So, right. and I'm not sa- I'm not saying that you accuse me of that, but I want people to understand like we have a feeling like this because we we produce content and don't like when people take it. Um, there is something to that on the West Virginia side, but uh, I, I don't blame him for for thinking he can do it or doing it. And um, he makes a good point too that like he he didn't take edited footage; he he created it something different. He took something that existed and produced something different. And I hadn't really thought about that before it's not necessarily the same. Like he's starting with the same hunk of clay and he's molding something different. And that gave me some perspective. And I got that because I wrote something about it on Wednesday and he popped on our message board and the VIP board. And he had a really thoughtful conversation with a lot of people who asked questions or who had different ideas, including his thoughts on how this factors into name, image and likeness and West Virginia's posture on that in the future, which again, I think we'd wondered about, but he actually had some pretty good thoughts on that too. So I'd encourage you to go read that because it's straight from him. I wrote something where I even said at the very beginning, I haven't talked to Doug or Matt about this because I don't want agenda or bias to involve in this. Cause I know, I know Matt really well more than I know Doug. I've talked to Doug a handful of times in my life, but like both of them don't have anything inside of one of them. And I think a lot of people are trying to get an explainer, like what the heck's going on here? What is a DMCA? Why can't he do this? What are trademarks and copyrights? So that was part of the reason I wrote the story, but um, Doug's explanations were really good and wow, it's amazing what happens when people sit down and civilly talk about things and don't tweet out irrationally and have to do apology videos and everything too. And we're all better for it. We understand it a little bit better now than we did before. Mike, don't make me ban you. Don't make me ban you from this podcast. Where are you taking this conversation? No, I've, I've gotten a lot off my chest right there. Call uh, yeah. the guy an idiot cause he is. <laughs> and uh, and then I think you know it's it's hard to figure out what's what's going to happen in the future there or whatever. But um, th- I think there's a chance that he's a part of players branding initiatives in the future. I think there's there's a, a little bit of wiggle room to do that. And I don't know how you're going to tell players, hey, create your own brand. Sure, you can use our footage. No, you can't work with Doug. That would be problematic for me. Um, and I just wonder how footage factors into nil and personal branding and things like that because players love videos and love to highlight themselves. Um, I wonder what that's going to be like in the future. That's, that's a rock we got to turn over sometime soon because it's coming fast. Yes, it is. Anyone else is coming fast, Mike? The finish line. The finish line. You have a very important call to take. I have a dump trailer in my garage and I'm going to (laughs) start filling up. So uh, let's hit it. That's all for this time. We'll see you next time for earsports.com. I am Mike Kazazin. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.